welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Vermut, and joining me as always, my co-hosts Scott Burleson and Jonathan Edwards. Today, we welcome our very special guest and my business partner and friend for more than 10 years, Beat Walter. Beat started out his career at P&G, he's worked at McKinsey, and he's managing partner at Ventbridge, so the agency I work at, and um, which he co-founded 20 years ago. He's a co-creator of the CFI approach, and CFI stands for Customer Focused Innovation, an approach which helps companies focus their innovation resources on the winning ideas. Beyond his work at Ventbridge, he's a board member and has coached more than 200 startups, but I believe that might even be a bigger number. I don't know. We'll see you later, later on. Beat, anyway, thank you so much for joining us on the Product Quest podcast. It's a pleasure. <laughs> pleasure to be here on this great initiative. Great to have you. Well, it's, it has been a fun initiative, I must say. So I'm very, very, very pleased to have you on here. Um, I mentioned Ventbridge. So Ventbridge as the agency and, and it's I mean, some, something like a 20-year success story. Um, so maybe could you start a little bit telling us about Wentbridge, what it is, how did it come about? Well, Wentbridge has, uh, we are now at Wentbridge 4.0, I would say. And Wentbridge 1.0 was not on innovation, was not on strategy. It was really a time in 2003 when, uh, remember, that the bubble, the internet bubble burst in 2000 one, two, three, around this. I had a concept on startups before, a consulting concept on startups before, and then suddenly this bubble burst and I met a, a, friend, a business partner at the time who wanted to do um, business development or his concept was rent a sales force. And this was really a very interesting uh, idea for the time because consulting was really not, not really at demand. Um, it was about creating, creating value in sales. It was about um, IT companies before 2003, they were just sitting in the office and picking up because one wanted to do all these fantastic IT projects. And then there was this, this millennium change. And so, and suddenly this, everything stopped. Mm -hmm. And we started Ventbridge 1.0 with the idea of bridging uh, the salespeople and helping the salespeople to do strategic conceptual selling, proactive selling. And that was also that, that gave, gave us also the name, Vent Bridge. Vent is mm. vending machine or vendre in French. And, and so Bridge was, was this idea. Yeah. Um, and it, it, we started very well. We had some great projects at the beginning. It was not a consulting format. It was a re re retainer and um, success fee format at the time. And then suddenly we had um, um, larger, larger clients. I mean, at the time, for example, there suddenly we had UBS as a client, the bank. And we, we, we helped them to, to, to do conceptual selling. And we realized that these uh, teams did not understand their customer. Yeah. And, and that was like a aha moment for us to say, they do, they do selling, they do conceptual selling, and they don't understand the problems of their customer. 
Kuzdev is saying, yes, I, I know my customer very well. I go play golf. But, okay, now you know he plays golf or she plays golf, but you don't know the problems. You don't know the, the pain points of this customer. This we realized, and then um, we created Ventbridge 2.0, which was really about identifying customer needs with another partner. Maybe we can talk about this later sure. on in a, separate, uh, in a separate discussion, because this was really 1.0 20 years ago, business development, sales development, sales. And, and, and that phase lasted from 2003 till 2006, 2005, 2006, 2007 maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then we, we you said you kind of re, reinvented Ventbridge almost. So there's different versions of, of Ventbridge that have, have, have been there. And maybe we can, we can discuss this point. So at one point, um, you got more into, let's say, innovation, or at least also more formally into touch with jobs to be done. I mean, it's something we haven't mentioned yet, but, but I think we should, because at least if I understand and remind, uh, remember this correctly, it's around this time where you got in touch at least for the first couple of times with this label of jobs to be done, if I'm correct. Yes, that's 2005, um, where I, for the first time, heard the term jobs to be done. In um, 2005, I was uh, meeting another partner, business partner, Roger. and he, oh, I know him uh, very well. <laughs> you know him very well, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I read the, the Innovative Solution from Clayton Christensen, and say, hey, what you're doing is really great. And it seems to me there is a link to, to, to Clayton Christensen. And, and in there, they, he talks about get the job done, chapter three. And Roger said, yeah, that's, that's what we do. But no one was talking about jobs to be done at the time. Um, mm -hmm. But Clayton was really the one who, who brought in jobs to be done into innovation, um, I believe, from what I know. Now, we found out later that uh, it has already been around earlier. There was Ted Levitt in the 60s describing the same concept. There was Peter Drucker coining the name job, job done or something. But in any way, and then I realized that in Proctor times, we were doing jobs to be done without having a name for it. I, very interesting anecdote. Can you yeah, 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 please. Can you tell, I mean, what, what does this mean and what does jobs to be done then also maybe mean to you? Well, for me, I mean, Procter is really a company where they have the consumer in their DNAs. I mean, I was working in marketing. You will talk about consume, consumer goods products, which are really not so greatly differentiated via technology. I mean, a detergent is a detergent and a, a household cleaner is a household cleaner. And, um, but they have the consumer in their DNA because they want to differentiate and they manage this by creating a concept around it, an advertising concept around a technology. And to get this concept really working, you really have to go deep into, into the consumer. Yeah. Um, and they used, there was a term that we used at P&G, which was called the consumer insight. And the consumer insight today, an insight is used in a totally different way, meaning yeah. that the consumer insight was really the core of our work. What is it? And, and it's, it, it came from the advertising industry. What is a consumer insight? It is kind of a believed problem that the consumer has. Mm. 
uh, a problem he believes, either with a competitive product, like I clean my laundry and with my normal detergent, the carrot stains don't go out. That's yeah. a belief problem, no? Or, or when I, yeah. And so this consumer insight was so central, but how to find it? How to mm. find it? And a little anecdote, when I started my, my, my job, I was a little assistant on household cleaner. And my, my boss at the time told me the first three weeks, yeah, you have to go uh, in-home visits. You have to do in-home visits. Talk to consumers. I said, okay, I go talk to the consumers. I set everything up. And then the day before I asked him, what should I ask them? What, I mean, what should I do? <laughs> and he told me, just ask them what they do and what they try to get done mm. and how they do it. So basically it was jobs to be done. Yeah. And, and the household cleaner is not about, of course it's about cleaning a surface, for example, but it's also about spending, spending less time, having more time with the family. And then of course the advertising makes a story around having time with the family, spending mm -hmm. a Saturday afternoon with the, with the kids, things like this. That's yeah. the consumer intent. And that's, that was found via a technique which today we call jobs to be done. I really like how, how you especially point out that customer insight at some point in time was really a rather specified clear concept i mean now i think if you google it there is pff, a thousand things can be an insight but if you really have a precise idea of what you're what you're looking for and i really liked also i don't know who your boss was that but that he didn't say you use that technique or this technique or use this set of question but kind of just told you he told you what you should go look for. What, what should you go out and look for? And that can really, really be helpful, I think. Yes. And I, so did you, was this at PNG mostly on this household and detergents things or did you have other um, projects? And yeah, I was, I was working on detergents. I was working on the household cleaner. I was working on, um, on the paper products that was, uh, Pampers, for example, Pampers, very interesting, very, very emotional product with mm -hmm. a double benefit, benefit parents who want to get a job done, benefits baby who also wants to have a job done. Um, it's a little bit hard to interview probably, but <laughs> I, I worked on toilet paper. Oh, nice. I don't tell this story now. I was just, I think I haven't heard this story. Embarrassing. Was there some observational <laughs> research with paper? Yeah. It in in home visits. I'm, I'm afraid focus, to ask. <laughs> focus groups on, on toilet paper. I remember like yesterday. <laughs> and then you ask, yeah, how do you get the job done? How do you do it? Yeah. And, 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 and if you have in a focus group, let's say of 12 people in there, then you suddenly realize three different ways of people doing and never, <laughs> never. And, and I would bet that you will have different, um, you will have, um, if you would do the same in these four groups. Anyway, very yeah. interesting. But so maybe go back to this the png moment where you said you, you use jobs without i mean without without 
the label. I mean, but maybe you can, or or, or maybe we can we can go a little bit more into into this. How, how did you? So you said you were looking for two things, if I understand this correctly. What do they do, and what are the what are the problems they faced, or was it was it more? What is jobs to be done than than to you? Yeah, it was about first the first step. What do you do? How do you do it? What in a, in a sense, what do you want to achieve? What goal do you want to achieve? And then how do you do it? But then the most important one is where does it fail when yeah. you do it? Yeah. Um, so on Pampers, um, kind of the obvious failure is leaking. If a diaper leaks, yeah, that's um, that can be very dramatic. Uh, and and this was a known insight because a diaper has, even if it leaks, uh, 0.5% of the time, and you calculate over a period of six months, you can calculate how often you have a problem and the likelihood that, that, you, that the parent is in the supermarket at the time at the cashier and it leaks then, um, yeah. that is really a dramatic failure. So we looked for failures in competitive products. We looked for failures in not solved, let's say things that are not solved simply. We looked at failures in terms of that it is time consuming. Mm. Um, and uh, we looked for failures that are like not systematic. So like if the, if the quality of the performance is like, ver is like variating, sometimes it's clean, sometimes it's not clean. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's, it leaks, sometimes it doesn't leak. So th this is like this quality um, if you can call it quality, but the, the steadiness yeah, yeah. of the performance. Yeah. And, um, and, and we looked really deep. That, because in consumer goods, I mean, everything has been done. So where are these, these little failures, which you can then over-dramatize, which then build a, build a brand. So that, that's, really, that's really the difference between, in my view, consumer goods, and when you go into technology or into med tech, where we have examples, in medtech, the failures are much more obvious and greater than in consumer goods. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to search. And, and we see this ref fully reflected in our CFI uh, projects. I mean, we do projects for consumer goods. We do projects for medtech, for financial services, insurances, um, yeah. even B2B. And, and, and we see that whenever we do something in consumer goods, it is really hard to find these, these failures this pain point. Well, it is our failures. Actually, the word failure is not a good word in this context because it, a failure means already a product failure and jobs to be done should be solution-free. So it's not a product failure. Yeah. Um, it's really a problem or pain point that a, a user have, has when using a solution, a product, for example. So that's a... Yeah, that's right. I mean, then it can translate into fixing a, a product, or or the or the problem is caused by a faulty product, but but the problem should be independent of of the solution as such. Absolutely. But, oh, yeah, on, I, I just wanted to ask. Uh, so regarding the, the the three, is it correct? So there were three different things you were looking at at PNG. It was um, or three different cases. 
One was, correct me if I'm wrong, so um, so basically some failures, failures in, for example, leakage in the, uh, um, in the Pampers. Um, then you have not solved. Mm-hmm. And then you had varying results, so variance, some kind of variance in the results. And time. Then, and time. Oh, time. So what, what is time exactly? If it the takes too long? Is, yeah, it's when the, when the consumer says it takes too long or it is uh, also complicated. Mm. It's very often linked to time. Um, effort is the same. Effort takes too much effort to do it. Time can be length of time so that it takes months to do it. Or it can be uh, that, it, that the amount of time I spent uh, on something is is too long. Mm. Okay, that's very interesting. I, I find um, so. Uh, and, and could you maybe expand on the difference between a, so a failure, I think you called it, and a not solved? What would be uh, what's the difference between those two? So, well, but they... not not solved is, for example. Um, now it is solved, but it. Uh, so if we take the Pampers example, for if we take the Pampers example, we have. Uh, uh, so if there's a leakage, it's it would be. Uh, you mentioned 0.5 percent leakage in a, a certain time frame, that would be a, a failure, I would imagine. But at what point does it become a not solved? Then, if it's fifty, yeah, not so solved. Is it- real problems like. There was this um, like transferring transferring electricity without a cable. Okay, that's a solution. But uh, having basically cable free uh, devices, which mm. twenty years ago did not exist so much. Everything had a cable, and you had a lot of cables. So this was kind of not solved. How can you solve this? And the problem then was, was like, I have the cable here around. Uh, I have, so this, this, is, this could be an, an example. Or um, in, 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 in beauty, basically um, stopping the aging process is not solved. Many, many people are working on it, but it's still not solved. But there are solutions coming to, to solve this. Um, it might take another hundred years <laughs> to stop the aging process, but this is a not solved problem. I'd like him to solve that one a little faster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that depends on the, we're in a nice demographically split. So probably that. <laughs> <laughs> well, very but, often if you have very customer, if you are too customer centric, for example, having, I mean, having something, uh, at, at no at no at no price for free it's also something sometimes it cannot be solved because there is a business model behind it oh yeah i really like this um emphasis and i think that is one thing i really i mean if we, over the time that i i now know you is really something that you have been always championing in a sense so this and i think you mentioned this in the very beginning so really really let's say red red ocean kind of style markets i mean really the competitive difference between the product is so, so, so small. And then it's precisely the customer and the customer inside that can help you out of this mess. Or, or I mean, it's just 
constantly working on this customer insight. And I think that is something if, I mean, we can call it jobs to be on whatever, but, but that is something, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that is something I believe is, is something like your, some kind of your core philosophy, at least that really this, this, the power of these customer insights that can really help you in, in, in a thousand different ways. If, if I think it's really the answer is with the customer or the user. The user can tell you how to differentiate a product, how to add value a product. I think in strategy, when we think about strategy framework, uh, in, when I was going to university, everything was about competitive advantage. Mm. So everyone was benchmarking against competition. So people were looking for advantages versus competitors. Fine. This has changed, totally changed. Today, people, and you need to look at the user, at the, at the consumer, as the customer, at, at any stakeholder in the, in the, to get the answer how to improve your product. Because uh, companies have realized that if they just benchmark to competition, they are as good as competition. And that's not good enough today. That leads to lower pricing, that leads to probably decline in market share, lower profitability. That's not really the, the, the growth that uh, companies want to have behind, behind, uh, behind their business. Yeah. So I think that really it is, it is, it is finding find the answer with, with the user and the consumer. So the back, with, back with P&G, uh, um, so they sent you to interview customers and it sounds like the training you had was fairly informal just from your boss, but was there some formal training or was it, or pretty much it was uh, it almost sounds like it was a pretty quick conversation as far as what your preparation. No, there was, there was formal training. There was formal training. Okay. There was formal training, for yeah. example, how, how to do advertising, how to do market research, um, how to communicate. There were, there was a lot of formal training. Most of it, however, was on the job. And, and as I said at the beginning, it was so much in the DNA of the people, you learn from them. And, and uh, this is really, there was no formal training. Uh, I mean, th there was formal training, but it was really about embracing this, uh, this culture that, is, that, is, that was there today. I don't know, but at least at the time. Did you know uh, me ambassador while you were there? No. Oh, okay. Where was she? Oh, Min, Ambassador's a he, uh, developed a, an innovation process, came out of P&G, was heavily involved with Coast Soap, was one of his projects, but he might, that, that was probably before you were there. Went on to uh, come up with his own innovation method, and I've just borrowed a lot from him. I was just wondering if you, if you knew him during your time there, but actually, the more I think about it, he was probably gone before you were there. Well, I was in marketing, but what is interesting to mention in this context is that the R&D department had the same philosophy. Mm. So the R&D department was not, of, of course, they were called technical center. But if, if you looked at the number of women with babies waiting outside the technical center to do consumer testing and user testing, be surprised. Mm. If you go to the Gillette Technical Center in London, you'd be surprised how many men are going in there sure. and shave. So this was, this was not just marketing. This was really everywhere in the organization and especially in the, in the product development department. Right. Mm. This is something that you, that you kind of picked up in P&G and it's so ingrained. There's a part of 
which that of, of, of what Brain Bridge does, which has to do with CFI, and we we will get to this. Mm-hmm. But there is there's other things that you do also in your work with startups, and and I really believe that this this focus on the customer in what in whatever way you can. I mean, it's not by chance probably called customer focused innovation. Is really I believe mm-hmm. the core also of what I've what I've yeah what I've learned from you. Maybe we can. I mean, that was kind of PNG this this first few years and 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 i mean using jobs to be done without the label i believe that there's probably a couple of people out there that had maybe made the same experience that they just they did something like jobs to be done with, without the label and then at some point the label came in so at some point you 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 got into so it was with roger and and i so full disclosure i worked with roger so that's why i met Beat, mm-hmm. um where you got into touch a little bit more with the label can you talk a little bit about at that phase so how how did yeah. that evolve because i mean roger was um was working with tony alvik already mm-hmm. since since five years so he was he was in europe he read the 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 first harvard business review article of tony in uh, 2000 i think it was uh, roger contacted him and basically brought him the bosch a uh, bosch project bosch is a german company roger was was doing all different kinds of consulting work, um, but was fascinated by, by the ODI methodology and, uh, and his article. And he went to Tony and, and asked him, look, I have a project here. Your methodology seems to fit. Let's do it together. <laughs> and then Tony came here and they kind of figured out at the time, it was less, of course, it was less a defined process. It was more a concept. And then they did the Bosch project in Europe. And then, and then Roger flew over because there was an US project, which you see in the cases now, the um, circular saw case. Yeah. And they did this. And, and I met Roger, that was between, must be between 2000 and 2005. And I met Roger again in 2005. And then, uh, and then we uh, created I mean, basically, we worked with Tony in Europe. We did strategy in Europe, mm. and and we worked with the methodology, which was becoming much more stable and much more uh, formalized. And and so we worked between 2005 to 2009 uh, with the ODI strategy, and that's quite some very interesting international projects. We were much more international than than the US group. I mean, we had projects from uh, for for cochlear, for example, in Australia, uh, for mm-hmm. Alstom, uh, uh, industrial company in energy, in in France, um, some Swiss financial services companies where we had pan-European or even uh, that was all all in this time. There was also Syngenta, which was a global project where we went from China to India to yeah. Brazil. So these were all projects done uh, somehow with the ODI methodology. Um, But we tweaked it, let's put it like this. We we tweaked it, we had ideas to to improve it. Uh, We had ideas to to make it more flexible. And, and, And at one point in time, we wanted to get uh, independent again from the ODI process because the ODI process was getting a, a bit too strict for us. Um, we saw 
differences, cultural differences, which were maybe not so good reflected. I don't want to talk absolutely not negative about ODI. ODI is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it is also the basis and the, uh, the, the, the basic system. Um, I must say there, was, there are also elements in there which I knew from Proctor, like this systematic, qualitative, quantitative uh, in, in, in one go. This is what we did in Proctor. There was always qualitative, quantitative. Mm-hmm. Um, all this. I mean, uh, it was very clear that without a quantitative uh, module step, you you cannot base decision on on qualitative. Simply, this is not uh, is not uh, reflecting the the reality. So, yeah. but then but then we 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 started to improve, and in good terms, we separated from ODI in two thousand nine, I think it was, and created CFI, customer focused innovation. Mm-hmm. which um, used the good things and added some elements which we f- found important at the time. Yeah. Can you yeah. maybe say a bit more about the cultural differences you noticed? So you, you mentioned in the theory itself that some of the elements, in your opinion, had a, yeah. a cultural, um, uh, the, the cultural differences. So could you maybe expand on that? So first of all, I have to say that um, I, I believe jobs to be done is universal. There is no cultural difference, in my view, on jobs to be done. And I came to this conclusion, a conclusion by really doing um, projects also on um, in, in other countries, in India, for example, with farmers, small farmers, for example. Um, I was uh, China. So, mm. Every human being wants to get a job done. A human being gets up in the morning and has like so many minutes a day or a week and always wants to achieve something. Mm-hmm. Small things, big things. That every, this, is, this is almost like human. This is a universe. Um, I mean, we humans, we, 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 we are driven by, by, by creating, by changing, by defining by defending against something, by uh, uh, endeavoring somewhere. This is, this is really the human, the human psychology, the human, truly human. So that's why I think jobs to be done is universal. However, in the, in the technique, for example, interview technique, you, you, you have to adapt to a Japanese consumer. The Japanese consumer will tell you differently than a US consumer or a French consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, is a very simple example is the rating scales that you use in quant. If you look at the school system um, in France, for example, in France, you have different rating scales and no one ever makes the maximum. So if a French consumer fills out the questionnaire, he's like, he or she will never give the maximum. Mm. So you always have to put this relative to each other and 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 uh, and in that sense uh, we believe that you have to look at the numbers and you cannot just give a strict algorithm and say if this is the value it is an unmet need um, you have to look at in the market in france relative to all the other french users or consumers how do they rate and then you cannot compare this directly to the german consumers because they rate differently uh, and and but but relative in the french in the french you see pain points 
And then relative in the Germans, you see pain points and maybe they are the same, the same. Very often they are the same. And then sometimes they are different. And then you see there are different pain points in, in France than in Germany. And, and, and need to explain why. Yeah. I really like this, how somehow almost counterintuitive way, but I, but I really believe it's true in the sense that the, the jobs to be done language I think that one is universal. So if you mm -hmm. just take a, a very plain, like, I don't know, um, I think the, so prepare a hot beverage in the morning. That's just, it's, it doesn't matter if you're Japanese. I mean, the, the beverage itself will change, mm -hmm. uh, right? So what the solution that you actually use will change, but that you have that job in the morning is quite universal. It doesn't matter if you're French or, Ger or German or whatever, probably the likelihood that you have this job is very high. But then exactly when it gets to numbers, I like how you introduced that there are differences. So mm -hmm. numbers, you one could think these are universal. They are always the same, but it's exactly there where things become much more relative and difficult. It seems like. Yeah. And then there's a third element is the language. Um, yeah. I mean, I know Tony says, says minimize. Uh, minimize is a, is a very unnatural word in, uh, in other languages. Um, yeah. So, so we maybe we should just yeah. for somebody who isn't that familiar with ODI and and then qual and quant and what we mean by this. So, can we just maybe give a short overview of of well, let's take the CFI process because I think a lot of it is similar. So, just give a short overview of what this is, and then we go back to because then probably will be more clear on what we mean when I'll, because language I think is a very important point that you that you raise. So could you maybe just describe like, what is what is CFI? What are the steps? And then and then we'll go back to this language. Yeah. CFI is oh hold up guys hold up hold up not so fast. Let's save an in-depth conversation about the customer-focused innovation process for the next episode. We've gone deep into the jobs to be done roots of CFI, and that's enough for today. Let me just say this though: I've been a practitioner, an innovation practitioner for a long time. A long time. Let's leave it at that. And I have to say, I really love what Biot and his colleagues have put together. So come see us in the next episode. It's probably just a click away. And see what it's all about. And that does conclude this episode of the Product Quest Podcast. Reach out to us anytime at productquestpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.